In this episode, the world-class photography collection held in a place you probably wouldn't think of, Kansas City. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fine Art Photography Podcast. I'm not a guy who believes in categorical imperatives, but if you love photography, you should be seeing photo exhibitions in person. I realize with the pandemic dragging on and depending on where you live, it's not always easy. But if you see a window of opportunity, go. But where should you find great photography to view? It's true that art galleries that feature substantial photography exhibitions are few and far between in many places. If you live near a major city like New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston, or Atlanta, then you have plenty of access to great photography. There are plenty of museums and art galleries featuring photography in those cities. Smaller cities can be hit or miss. The Nashville metro area where I live has no museums or art galleries dedicated to the art of photography, but we do have a local university with a nice photo gallery, so universities can be a viable option. Otherwise, photo exhibitions here come and go. A few months ago, I published an episode about my visit to the George Eastman House in Rochester, New York. That's a legacy holdover from Kodak in the city, but it's well worth a visit if you get to Rochester. But here's an option you've probably never considered. The Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Missouri. As it turns out, this museum in the middle of the American heartland owns a world-class collection of photographs. I've never been to this museum yet, but it's on my bucket list, and I'm hoping to maybe even find a window of time to visit this year. But how does a museum in Kansas City come to be such a major center for photography? One word, Hallmark. KC-based Hallmark is a major greeting card company, of course, but it's also a major media company with a television channel, movies, holiday ornaments, branded retail stores, and on and on. For artists, the company's long been a force. When I graduated from art school back in the early 80s, Hallmark was a destination for illustrators. The company has given work to hundreds or maybe even thousands of staff and freelance artists over the years. In 2005, Hallmark donated its entire photography collection, 6,500 photographs, to the Nelson Atkins Museum, establishing a world-class photography department in one fell swoop. In 2017, Nelson Atkins announced that it had added 800 more photographs to its collection, representing more than 150 artists and covering a time span of 190 years. Those acquisitions were funded under the guidance of noted curator Keith Davis with $10 million donated from the Hall Family Foundation. Again, that's Hallmark-related money. Davis had developed the original 6,500-piece collection while working at Hallmark, and he came along to the museum as curator when it was donated. The Nelson Atkins Museum of Art made headlines recently for its acquisition of the Fitz Daguerreotypes. Did you hear about the Fitz daguerreotypes and how they were discovered? It's so interesting. I almost posted an episode about it, but ultimately decided not to do that. So here I am circling back around to talk about it. Let me give you a very quick outline of what happened with the Fitz archive. Early in 2021, the press was all abuzz about the discovery of an important collection of very old daguerreotypes found in an unheated wooden shed in Peconic, New York. And I apologize if I'm pronouncing Peconic wrong. I probably am. I seem to always botch the city names. Anyways, this discovery turned out to be the rest of the Fitz archive, which included some of the earliest known daguerreotypes ever made in the United States. One profile view of Henry Fitz Jr. dates to 1840. That's extremely early in the history of photography. I said this is the rest of the Fitz archive. This discovery is one half of a larger collection that had been known for years. In fact, the rest of the archive had been donated to the National Museum of American History in the 1930s. I'll explain more about that in a minute. 
What makes this archive notable is the fact that it's all documented with verifiable dates or at least a date range. There are many one-off old images out there, but those are often without documentation. The Fitz Archive was auctioned by Hindman Auctions in November, and that's when it was acquired by the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art for $300,000. Hindman Auctions also published a remarkable auction catalog with a detailed history of the collection and showing all the photographs that were included. It also gives extra information about the daguerreotype process and describes the condition of all the items in the auction. It shows photos of the old workshop where the artifacts were found and a lot of other extras. It's really worth reading. I'll include a link to the catalog in the episode write-up and also on my blog at iCatchShadows.com. Now, Henry Fitz Jr. hailed from Connick, New York. He was a locksmith by trade, but also had been serious about making high-quality telescopes, which meant that he had skills of grinding and polishing excellent mirrors. Now, this was very early in the development of the daguerreotype process, and it was still difficult and problematic. The aspiring daguerreotype team of Johnson and Walcott had developed a scheme for an improved camera using a mirror, which is where Henry Fitz Jr. comes into this story. They couldn't make a proper mirror, but Fitz could. After working with Johnson and Walcott, Fitz decided he wanted to learn the daguerreotype process and get in on the action. There was a sense that there was big money to be made selling portraits, and early photographers were racing to make it viable. Fitz moved his family to Baltimore, where he established Maryland's first photography studio and created some of the daguerreotype portraits found in the archive. Some of those daguerreotypes are housed behind brass mats stamped with the words Fetch It Balt. That's F-E-C-I-T-B-A-L-T, which means made in Baltimore. But in Baltimore, Fitz was charging more for the portraits than most people could afford, so ultimately the business was not successful. He returned with his large family to New York, where he resumed the manufacturer of high-quality telescopes and optics. These were really great devices, and they were in big demand, so he was successful at that. Henry Fitz Jr. died in 1863 when a chandelier in his Manhattan house fell on his head. Now, that's what I call being a victim of your own success. After his death, Mrs. Fitz took her six kids and returned back to Peconic, New York, where she still had family connections. Their son, Harry Fitz, took over management of the telescope business. Another son, George, became a successful doctor and later helped establish key medical departments at Harvard University in the 1890s. Now, Harry and George outlived all the other siblings, so they each inherited half of the photo archive, camera gear, telescopes, and other items that were all part of the archive. Harry donated his part of the photo archive to the National Museum of American History in the 1930s, and in the course of communications, he mentioned that his other brother, George, owned the rest of the collection. The museum attempted to contact George to acquire the remaining photographs, but he never answered their queries. Now, after retiring, George Fitz returned to Peconic, where he died in 1934, never having donated the archive to the Smithsonian or to anyone else. And that's where the daguerreotype collection was later discovered, 87 years later, in his wooden workshop in the backyard. Now those most rare of photographic artifacts are going to Kansas City. But what other photographers are represented in the museum's collections? Their website shows a few examples. The work of Gustave Legray, Charles Sheeler, Gregory Crudson, Alvin Langdon Coburn, Harry Callahan, Southworth and Hawes, who I discussed at length in a previous episode here, and Carlton Watkins, who I also talked about on this podcast, and many others across a wide spectrum of styles and generations. Nelson Atkins Museum also has a terrific video on their photography page that describes their recent acquisitions and shows work by Deanne Arbus, Robert Frank, the Beckers, and many others. The new work also includes images by Thomas Struth, Cindy Sherman, Dorothea Lang, Ellsworth Kelly, 
W. Eugene Smith, and Carrie Mae Weems. Just an astounding cast of talent represented there. As you can see, this museum should be a destination for anyone wanting to see great photographs in person. But not everything is on display all the time. They rotate the shows every five months to protect the prints from the ill effects of too much light exposure. At the time I'm recording this episode, the museum was presenting a photo exhibition under the title Art of Illusion, Photography, and Perceptual Play with the works of 25 artists. If you want to plan a visit to the museum, you can see their exhibition schedule on their website. That's all I've got for this episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again real soon.